All right. Well, this is the West Coast Project podcast for Saul. Better call Saul take two, huh, Jamie? That's right. My name is Mike, and I'm here with Jamie. Hey. Uh, Jamie, let's explain what happened. We were trying to do this the other day. We're both really down on episode 10, Marco. Yeah. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about why. But I was, I'm was i as down on it as you are. But we we just came out with a pretty bummer of a podcast. So we wanted to retweak it and retry it. Yeah, we've just got to do it justice. <laughs> All right. So directed by Peter Gould, written by Gilligan and Gould, or created by Gilligan and Gould and written by Gould, I think by himself. He's only, only credit listed on the IMDb for this one. Okay. So, Jamie, how did you like this one? I did not like this one. <laughs> In fact, I pretty much hated this episode. I think that's not too strong a word. I think we were propped up to expect a whole lot more. I didn't like it either. They put a lot of effort into a couple minor, seemingly dead-end cul-de-sac-type plot. I don't even know what you'd call them. Because these, these scams that they illustrated so so fully didn't seem to have much of a payoff. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. So I guess they were supposed to um, sort of, you know, flesh out the relationship and the friendship between uh, Marco and Jimmy. And, you know, they served to do that. And, you know, and I, I guess, you know, after my, what, fourth or fifth watching of this episode, um, I've concluded that I think that, you know, the the idea was to make that last scene more compelling and more believable but it just didn't do that for me didn't work is this where you drop the microphone and walk away (laughs) the podcast microphone that's right (laughs) yeah i'll go through some of my notes i'm so i apologize to you jamie You're, you're the only one that's heard some of this before the people the good listeners haven't yet but i'll try to i'll try to re uh re rejigger them with some new energy but right. I put it was really punchless and poignant. They made it pretty poignant at the end, but it didn't have the drive from the episodes earlier that we saw earlier in the season. So like I said, it, we were teed up to expect more, or at least I thought I was. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't just like that we were teed up to expect more. We should have expected more. I feel like that that we deserved more <laughs> as an audience, and that's that's actually a rough thing to say because it is hard to, to produce a television show, even one episode of a television show goes through so many dozens of hands of people, you know, from producers to writers to directors to editors to composers to, like, all these people who have to do with putting out something really great and, you know, and, and all of that cooperation that people do. And it just takes so much energy and money and time and everything I feel a little ungrateful saying it, but I feel cheated by the episode. Well, it's hard to do that. It's hard that that whole production dance you just described is hard to do, and it's that much harder to even make it good, you know, to make it all look good and make it interesting. Right. So it is a pretty – it's an undertaking to get this all together. And we just – I guess we know that these guys can do it, and maybe you're right. They can do so much better that that's why it's disappointing. Yeah, yeah. All right, so it starts out with, with flashback. The kids at the bar learning the bill and quarters trick. Pull the bill out from the underneath the quarters and not have them fall and you win. You don't, you lose. Um, right. You got to do that really fast, Jamie. You can't do it carefully. 
Right, exactly, which we see Marco do masterfully. And, I, I, you know, it's just occurring to me now, I'm wondering if he really did that or if it was a camera trick. No, I bet I bet he really did it, or a, some stunt guy did it. It's it's a trick that's capable. You know, it's a possible. It's possible to do it. That's cool. So I hope they did it. I don't think they needed to do a camera trick. Awesome. Uh, Jamie, did you think that the young kids were any way maybe Saul or Jimmy? I mean, Jimmy or um, Chuck, maybe, or even Marco before I we thought saw it was, I thought it was Jimmy and Marco. Yeah, I thought maybe Jimmy and Chuck. But okay. we, as soon as we see Marco, we know the time, the time comes into focus for us. Right. I made a comment on our, on our uh, jettisoned podcast, Jamie, about Marco being in The Last Man on Earth. Uh-huh. I'll be much less more brief. I'll be much more abbreviated here. Uh, he's on that show. <laughs> he's, it's a funny show. Check it out if you, if you can. It's really silly, but it's kind of funny. Last Man on Earth. Yeah, and I told you my little cousin uh, Jonathan saw me watching this, the show and said that um, the same thing that he was on Last Man on Earth. He's the second to Last Man on Earth. Okay, well there we go. And he, he <laughs> cock blocks some guy who's about to make it with January Jones, and he jumps in and becomes for a minute, for at least a one or two episodes, January Jones' boyfriend. Ah, so Marco. Marco's. Um, He's got his. He's he's got. He's playing above his weight, fighting above his weight with January Jones. Yeah, I guess so, right? <laughs> yeah. So Jimmy walks in on this little scene with the quarters. He's saying goodbye. He's moving to New Mexico with Chuck, uh, and Chuck's outside laying on the horn in the cab. Uh, <laughs> we learn he's just been released from jail with Chuck's help, and he's going to go work and kind of, I guess, repay Chuck in the mailroom by working with him in New Mexico. Right. And Marco wants one last blowout fun time in Cicero, but Jimmy's not up for it. He's going to go and join Chuck in the taxi and, and leave, Mar- leave a really sad-looking Marco behind. Yeah, he's crying, wiping away tears. Yep, they're good friends. I mean, they did make this poignant. I'll, I'll give them that. Yeah, uh, they did. With what we see happen to Marco at the end here. But So the credits roll. That's our first scene. Um, and we come back in the real Jimmy time. And he's at HHM now waiting in the lobby, and Kim sees him from the upper level, comes down and talks to him. And Jimmy explains that he's there to take the deal. Right. Yeah, and we learn that Jimmy, um, of course, we know that Jimmy doesn't want, knows Chuck doesn't want him. But he explains to Kim that he knows this now, and she apologizes for not telling him earlier. Right. But she didn't have a choice. I mean, you know, if I'd been in her shoes, I would have made the same decision. Yeah, she just didn't want him to hate, hate his own brother. Right. She's in a and, tough spot. And then also not wanting to get involved because you don't know how somebody's going to take news like that. So, you know. Yeah, pretty pretty tough. And we didn't like Kim at the time. All right, I didn't. But now I really like Kim a lot because she's she cares about Jimmy a lot. She doesn't want Chuck to look as bad as he should look. I mean, she's a, she's a I don't know, she, she, she's an important person person to jimmy and that she's a protector of jimmy yeah yeah and i'm glad she turned out to be a good girl yeah so far yeah i was ready to paint her black but she's she looks like she's in the white yeah all right so jimmy goes in and talks to howard now and they go through the same discovery process and we learn that howard's pretty a pretty good guy too and howard asks him how he finally found out about chuck and jimmy just says i did it on my own found out on my own yep said figured it out all by myself didn't need any help. 
And Howard says, I never wanted it to go this way. And I believe him, Jamie. I think he really, truly wanted uh, everyone to kind of be happy and maybe find a, a role for Jimmy in the law firm. I agree. I agree. And it's, you know, and it's uh, kind of revelatory because, um, you know, Vince Gilligan said um, in the Insider podcast, when they had the guy who plays Howard on, the actor, and I apologize, I don't remember his name, the actor's name. Patrick's, I didn't know his name the last time either, but it's Patrick somebody. Okay, so when when they had Patrick on um, the Insider podcast uh, for breaking, uh, I'm sorry, for Better Call Saul, um, uh, Vince Gilligan said, we haven't seen uh, everything about Howard. And um, we think we know who he is, but we're going to find out something different. He said something like that, or we'll find out more or something. Um, and at the time, I was kind of intrigued, but I thought he was such a, <laughs> such a jerk that I just didn't, you know, I, was, I didn't put much thought into it. You didn't want to hear it. You didn't want to believe it. Kind of. Yeah. Kind said it. Yeah. I was dismissive of it. And, um, and so I'm really glad that it turned out to have a really, really good uh, sort of a ending for him. So Howard cuts him a check. I guess I owe you 20000 or we owe you some money. Cuts him the check and tells him of the 20% deal. And, um, Jamie, I think I corrected this in our earlier podcast, too, that the, the one that we rejected, that the 20% is not of the $20 million, It's of what's left over in the general fund, which could be some substantial number less than the $20 million. Right. Figure even if a law firm gets half. So that's $10 million. Then they have expenses. they got to pay everybody. Then that's half of that and half of that. You know, it might be 20% of a million or 20% of somewhat somewhat lower number than $20 million. Right. So a couple hundred thousand, maybe up to a million. So Jimmy apologizes to Howard for calling him a pig fucker. Right. Did we hear that? We didn't hear that. We just kind of got bleeped out, didn't it, in the show? Right. Right. It, yeah. Except if you um, replayed it on the FX Now Player I'm sorry, not FX, AMC. If you replayed it on AMC, then you got to hear it. Yeah, keep that network right. You don't want those thugs after you. Sorry, could you take that out? Because you know what I did? I watched The Americans on the FX network. Who watches that crappy show? (laughs) Guilty. Well, Jamie, let me put in a little uh, commercial here. We do a podcast on The Americans on our other channel. That's our right. other podcast channel, The Americans, on West Coast Projects. So be sure to listen into that when you have a minute. That's right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So it's on. It's on AMC. Yeah. Um, so I used I used the AMC episode player and um, watched it on there, and it um, and you could hear the curse on that. Ah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Jimmy also gives Chuck the shopping or gives uh, Howard the shopping list for Chuck's stuff, all that stuff he needs. And Howard's really impressed with how long he's been doing this for, for Chuck. Yeah, you know he was impressed with Jimmy, and 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 see, this is the thing I I have an issue, and 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 this is part of it. I think that part of the reason that I find this episode so disappointing is because I feel like Jimmy's motivations are muddy. I, I, I don't see them clearly anymore. I used to believe that he was a certain way, that he had a certain kind of core, um, that his character was a certain type. And I've, I've talked about that at length throughout this season here on this podcast. And this episode flipped all of that kind of on its head. I don't know what to think about Jimmy anymore. 
Maybe they wanted us to think that that it was muddy because Jimmy puts a pretty strong stamp on it at the end of this episode. What what his motivations are going to be? Yeah, I don't know. So maybe it was maybe it was supposed to be muddy. I guess I don't know. I just ugh, I didn't buy it. He was always tempted to keep the money, right? To take the money and keep the money, but he he kind of swayed to the good side. Yeah. But at the end of this, we know what he wants to do next. It's not the good. It's the it's the you know the criminal lawyer side. Yeah. Well, Howard says he'll get this list done for Chuck, get get him all the stuff, and then he calls Jimmy Charlie Hustle. Yeah. Do you know who Charlie Hustle is, Jamie? No. I just told you last time on the podcast. I know. We I'm pretending away. like I don't know. They don't know I don't know. They don't know I know already. Pete Rose. Pete Rose. <laughs> Pete Rose was a baseball player in the 60s and 70s and maybe even into the 80s. But he was, a, he was an undersized, understrength. I think he played second base mostly. So he wasn't a power home run hitter. He wasn't a great pitcher. He wasn't a statuesque muscle man. He was just a hustler. He just ran super fast. He dove everywhere. He was always dirty. And um, he's a really famous, um, should be probably Hall of Fame baseball player. And Howard makes this reference to Jimmy being like Charlie Hustle, Pete Rose, because he's always hustling. Right. Yeah. And that's actually, it's such a, a great um, analogy, such a great um, reference for him because Pete Rose really should be in the Hall of Fame by everyone's measure. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, a, a foregone conclusion, but he is not... Why because, not? because his proclivities, his his um, his pastimes were um, immoral, and he got caught doing something really wrong. He was betting against baseball, and that is a big no no. Well, he was a, he was betting. He was a manager of a team, and he was betting while he was manager of the team. Yep. He said he only. I think this is true. He said he only bet on his team to win. So oh. it wasn't like he bet on the other team and then threw the game. Mm-hmm. But the the interpretation there was unless you bet on your team every single time, like some days you don't bet on your team, you pretty much think you're not going to win, right, if you don't bet that day. Yeah. So it was all kind of dicey. It was all kind of crap. It was bad for him to do it, you know. Right. No, so it's, I mean, you know, the reference, I don't, well, yeah, Pete Rose had already been disgraced at the time that Howard made this comment. So it really is apropos. <laughs> it was, you know, it's like, you're a champ, but you try your darndest not to be one. Yeah, someone today could make that reference, Charlie Hustle. I mean, you'd have to be, you'd have to be talking to somebody who's not a teenager. Right. But, um, it could be made today, Charlie Hustle. With a little bit of help, you could probably, you know, even if you didn't know Pete Rose, Charlie Hustle, you kind of get the idea, right? Yep. All right, so let's go to the bingo parlor or this is the other question i had for you last time jamie is this a bingo parlor or is this a bingo setup at the sandpiper bingo setup at the sandpiper and i know now now i know why because the mylar balloons in the background that say bingo spell bingo you wouldn't have that at a bingo parlor you'd have that in a room that got converted into a bingo room i'm leaning that way too that it's a bingo setup in the Sandpiper, but it's a pretty elaborate damn setup. The big well, electronic oh, oh, scoreboard. <laughs> old people freaking adore bingo. Like they they live for it. It's their thing. I know. So you could get away with murder. Put a crappy little white, you know whiteboard up and just spell it out. But he has the whole deal. It's full oh, nine yards. 
You got to keep them happy because you're taking their money under the table. You got to keep the old folks happy. You really think he's taking their money? No. Talking about Sandpiper. Oh, yeah, 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 that. But yeah. he's giving away like kitty cat notebooks for prizes and bingo. <laughs> yeah, that was ridiculous. All right, Jamie. So the numbers that come up are 064 and 32 B, 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 like five Bs in a row. And he has names for each of these numbers. They're like the vitamin names. Yeah. Okay. So we get our first Belize reference. Yeah, they go south. He starts to go south during this, which was this, this was fairly genius. This was a good part of this episode. It really was probably one of the shining moments of this episode, honestly. It was, it was really, really great. Bob Odenkirk knocked it out of the park. His acting was really, really, really good. He comes up with these adjectives that sound very off the cuff. I know he's got a script and he learned it, but they sounded very off the cuff. Betrayal, Benedict Arnold, B as in brother, B as in bourbon, and Belize and battleship. His yeah. rant goes on and on. He even starts to rant against the state of New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. A melanoma the size of a pineapple, <laughs> where your head used to be. <laughs> and he gets mad. He, I think he's getting mad that the game isn't going to end if he keeps calling bees. He needs more. He needs more spread out numbers and letters to get the game over. Right. He's just frustrated and pissed off and. Um, he gets one ball and doesn't even read it. That final ball just throws it to a player at, at the first table. <laughs> yeah, he's he has spun out by that point. He's you know, and through the um, the monologue that he does here, you realize, of course, what's bothering him. It's his brother's betrayal, and um, you know, and how how awful that is. And um, I thought it was nice that that the word Belize got thrown in because that was an ultimate betrayal, wasn't it? When Walt sent Mike to Belize? Uh, I don't know. It might have been nice that time of year. (laughs) He goes through the story of the Chicago sunroof and explains that. And it's a long-ass extended story. I didn't like this part of this episode at all. Okay, so here's here's the change-up for me. When we first talked about this, I was uh, very extremely disappointed in the story about the Chicago sunroof. This time I rewatched and I paid attention and I kind of get it. Um, I think, I think that what he was saying was my life is really shit because of something ridiculous. I'm in New Mexico. I had to leave jail and and get bailed out by my brother, not just bailed out literally, but bailed out in life by my brother um, from this disgraceful thing that I now have hanging over me because sex you know, offender. Yeah, I mean that's forever. You know, sex offender status is forever, and it delegitimizes somebody like him who wears the law as a mantle. And so his real desperate frustration. And disgust and and real like boiling anger. It's so palpable. You can feel it through the screen. I get it. Like I understand it now better than I did the first three, four times I watched this episode. Um, I don't mind. I don't mind the stupid Chicago sunroof being the linchpin thing that got way exaggerated and leveraged into something really bad and that's why I'm here 
mm-hmm. it was just the timing of it. It just took too long. Oh, okay. All right. Well, okay. So I get that. I think the timing was a little off. I feel like it was a little long. Um, but I don't hate that scene as much as I did. Like, well, and not even the scene, but that part of the scene as much as I did originally. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're very forgiving, Jamie. I am, right? I'm we so- also learn about one of Jimmy's ex-wives. I still think he has two because I still th- remember somewhere in my past in my memory banks of my leaky mind that um, I heard <laughs> that in Breaking Bad or somewhere in Better Call Saul or something that he has had two wives. Well, we have time to find out. I guess we'll see who comes along. All right. Well, it's free prize. He's had enough of this bingo game. Free prizes to all. He drops the mic and he's out. Okay, so, but here's the deal. Here's the question about the wives thing. Now we know that by that point, he's already had a wife. So we're not going to meet her, probably, unless we meet her in a flashback. She's done and gone. So the, there's there's possibly one other wife to come. And how much do you want to put money on it that it's Kim? It's not, I, don't think, I don't think we'll see Jimmy and Kim in any kind of romance unless it's a flashback. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. And I don't think it, she was the wife that he's now an ex-wife of or yeah, husband of. All right. So another commercial break. This was my cool commercial. I tried to explain to you and that damn FBI robot. And neither. And I got the crickets. You guys didn't get it or <laughs> like it. And the robot even said the robot even slammed me and said, I use I use uh, DVR. Bastard. That robot was a bit of a smarty pants, wasn't it? <laughs> All right. But I still like that commercial. It's got a. Jack Kerouacian sound to it. Well, I thought it was really uh, the way that you explained it because I'd never seen it before. Um, but I think that the way that you explained it was cool. Um, I think it's kind of in, in fitting with your personality. All right. Well, thank you. So we go back to Cicero. Jimmy goes back to Cicero, Chicago Cicero, to the Arnos Bar, and he passes his old car. We we don't know it's his car yet, but it's a Cutlass. It's a crappy old beat ass car. Right. It's Marco's car now, but we find out that it was was Jimmy's old Cutlass. Right. And Marco <laughs> is taking a snooze on the bar in the middle of a Wednesday or middle of the week in the middle of the day. Right. Four o'clock on a Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> He's better off as the second to last man on earth than he looks in this in this bar. Is that so? Well, he's driving a Ferrari and he's jumping <laughs> January Jones, man. <laughs> okay. All right, Jimmy orders two old styles. Jamie, have you ever had an old style beer? No, I haven't. But Chicago beer. Are, it tastes like dishwater, right? It does. It's bad. <laughs> but it's the beer of Chicago. My first alcoholic drink was an old style beer. Seriously, given to me in my my backyard by my brother. Oh, that's awesome! But you drink it now, and it's it's like you say, rather dishwatery. <laughs> uh, so he wakes up Marco with a swizzle stick in the ear, um, and we find out Marco's a standpiper. Jamie, mm-hmm. his brother-in-law, giving him a job. Now you and I went back and forth over what a standpiper is. Right. It seemed simple to me. The concept is simple. The building sits there with all the pipes, but there's no water connected to it until the firemen bring the hose from the hydrant and connect it to the pipe on the outside of the building. That's the standpipe. Right. <laughs> the 
has to do with my utter lack of understanding of what it takes to fight a fire, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I thought that the firemen just stand there with a hose on the outside of the building and try to douse it. Yeah, but that <laughs> only gets water to the outer structure of the building, not every inside room and cubicle. And Mike, I'm so frustrated at you for not catching this. <laughs> Mike, I have to tell you, I have spent my entire life thinking that firefighting was really ineffective. <laughs> Seeing like, why do they send living people running into these buildings? Well, that's the whole point of a standpipe system. <laughs> yeah, I get it now. I'm so happy that these things exist. <laughs> All right. Marco has a brief coughing fit here, which turns out to be very telling pretty soon. <laughs> and Jimmy tells him that his mother passed away three years ago and had come to the funeral but didn't even tell Marco he was in town at the time. Yeah, and he was really hurt. Like, he was really, like, you could see the real just so disappointment and hurt on his face. It was such good acting. Well, they're buds. They're brothers in crime, both in the fun, friendly way and in the literal literal way. You right. know, they're, they're buds, you know. They're they're. Tick and tack, they belong together. And to come into town for being away for so long, so far away, and then not even telling your friend. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder why Jimmy didn't contact Marco. Too much <laughs> temptation? Well, maybe, yes. And, you know, also he was under Chuck's thumb. He was, you know, kind of, you know, Chuck was being big brother to him, and literally. All right. So I asked you this before. Why is he back now? He just got the check. He just kind of laid down the law with – or Howard didn't lay down the law, but laid down the, the – agreed to the plan that he had to agree to. Why does he go back to Cicero? He goes back because of, of his loss of, of his relationship with Chuck. He Maybe. goes back because he, he's looking for something to hold on to. He's trying to frame this experience he's had with Chuck, this revelation about how Chuck really feels about him. I think you're right. I think he needs that long-lost bud, Marco, to be – comfort to him when he goes back and just feel feel like he belongs somewhere again absolutely even if it's just a short time mm-hmm. all right so they pulled the long ass kennedy coin scam and there's another part of this i didn't like this this is this is a long ass scam and there this episode is the final episode of season one and it's 50 percent over why are they taking so long to do these scams and burn up the time in this episode I don't know. That's another one of those things, see-through-the-crack things for me. I don't know what this thing was. I feel like the pacing was off, like really off. I feel like that the amount of time we spent on different parts of the story were not the appropriate amounts of time. I don't know. Maybe we're missing something, but I just, ah, I didn't like it. Yeah, that's the only thing that tempers my criticism is like, these these guys are these geniuses are up to something and we don't know what it is yet. Yeah, that's it. Or or they have revealed something to us that we don't see yet. I don't think that's the case. I think they may be up to something next next season that we might need this all for. Maybe. All right. So there's a commercial break, Jamie. Now this commercial is the Acura commercial, which is the co-branding Acura and Better Call Saul. Yeah. So I asked you if you had seen it. I don't think you had. Have you seen it since? I have. Okay. Yeah. I'm putting a link in the show notes uh, so people can go look at it. But basically, a guy's speeding through the desert, 
on the run from something because he's jamming through the desert in this hot Acura and music, cool music's jamming. And then he has to stop when he sees the phone booth. He sees the Jimmy phone booth in the middle of the desert on the side of the road. Right. Stops, backs up, opens the trunk, and the trunk's got cash, a shovel, and a torn out Yellow Pages Saul Goodman ad crumpled up. Yep. So what do you think this is? This has to be real, right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know what to think of it. I think it could be a part of the story, but I think it could also just be a really clever way of uh, getting people to pay attention to a commercial. Oh, no, it can't be a red herring. It's got to be part of somewhere down the line. Well, I don't know about a red herring. Um, there's, you know, there's one that they do uh, for the Americans that's really super compelling. I don't know if you saw it. It's the one. It's the one with the um, the lie detector, um, and they're asking, um, you know, Elizabeth and and, um, and uh, Philip, like separately, the two main characters for our audience, the two main characters on this other show. They're like this. It's this. Um, uh, um, lie detector set up and you see the needle moving, 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 and it's asking them these questions that are really compelling. Um, and it looks like it could be something that's part of the story, but it's not. And so yeah. I'm, you know, I'm thinking this could be some, another thing that's kind of like that. Well, that's playing around with the next stones. They always do that to try to de- derail your, your forecast. But the, but the guy, this guy has to be some part of the plot and Saul coming up next season or, or beyond. I don't know. I don't know. It's the, uh, this wasn't a next on type thing. It was it's like, it's like, you know, so I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. It's a total standalone. Like we've never seen this guy before. He's got criminal looking. He looks criminal. He's, he's a sharp looking dude, but he's got like tattoos on his neck and his hand. And he's jamming in this probably stolen car with, or car with ill-gotten gains full of money in the trunk and a shovel i mean it's all leading towards something dark you know what's really funny about it is that like you know none of the 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 vince gilligan vehicles um and by that i meant the other kind of vehicle like his shows um none of them feature are known for featuring like badass cars you know <laughs> except for like you know that how when walt finally got his money yeah what do you mean they haven't had badass cars i guess yeah i guess they have had but they've had like more like horrible cars than they've had badass cars what about the aztec the what about aztec? the rv are you gonna talk about the aztec like it was a badass Je- Je- uh, jesse's cars are you kidding oh well yes they're horrible they're beaters i know i'm kidding <laughs> oh my god All right, let's go back to Better Call Saul. We come back from this commercial break with a montage of scams, Jamie. Let me take a deep breath here. The Nigerian prince, the Irish sweepstakes, the antique violin, customs, investments, the wife's car needs to be moved, today's lottery numbers, import taxes, paste-covered money, gambling problems, consortia, mountain range real estate, and then finally the Kevin Costner Jimmy is Kevin Costner, and he wakes up to the girl waking him up in the morning, the hot redhead. Okay, so I loved it. You know I loved it. We talked about this before, and I referenced the scene <laughs> in Breaking Bad where um, where Saul actually brings this up and tells Walt that he once convinced a girl that he was Kevin Costner at work because he believed it. Because <laughs> Jimmy believed it? Yes, because he believed it. <laughs> so Jimmy himself believes he looks like Kevin Costner. 
he believed it. He was Kevin Costner in the moment, so he well, was able. He does to get... kind of very, very roughly look like Kevin Costner. <laughs> but this girl believes it. This but I mean, let's do the Kevin Costner math here, Jamie. He's on a freaking air mattress in the basement of a dive apartment. Right. Kevin Costner visiting Chicago isn't going to sleep there. <laughs> and her girlfriend thinks that the other dude, Marco, is the manager, who of course has the nicer bedroom. and this was the single standout bright moment of this episode for me it was funny it was a little bit of funny (laughs) i loved it so much it was just so funny and it was such a great it was such a great (laughs) throwback you know to that (laughs) to that you know that to that story that reference in breaking bad and (laughs) it was just so bad because like the girl who came out who was who was with marco she was just totally innocent and she just like didn't get it she didn't realize that this was a setup and the girl goes in the room and tells her like is he he's not kevin Foster. the other girl's like are you sure really he was gonna give me his card <laughs> yeah at least jimmy asked them if they wanted mimosas as they got stormed out that was that was funny <laughs> God, I loved it so much. <laughs> All right, Jimmy gets his phone messages, Jamie, and he realizes people back in the real world need him. It's been a week since he's been in Cicero, and he's going to go back. His um, old folks need him. Yeah, his old his uh, customers. Yeah. And he tells Marco, and Marco doesn't even know he's a lawyer at this point. All this time, he doesn't even know that Jimmy's a lawyer. Yeah, quite a thing to have in your pocket, right? Marco's kind of surprised that he's an honest lawyer. He's not even ripping people off. He's doing real Marco, because doesn't Marco try to start to congratulate him a little bit? Like, oh, that's brilliant. That's a brilliant way to pull off more scams. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's all like, oh, dude, <laughs> you've really, really done it now. And uh, Jimmy's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm on the straight and narrow. So Marco says, why not do this in Chicago? Why go to Albuquerque and do it? And the bigger, richer market is Chicago, right? Right. And Jimmy says, Chuck's in Albuquerque. Yeah. So that's an important delineation that he's stuck to Chuck. He's he's indebted to Chuck. Even after all this. And see, this is something that I actually, I feel is a weakness in this series for me. For me. Um, It's probably a little bit easier for people who are a little bit more clever than I am. Um, But for me personally, I have an issue with the way the series plays with time. It goes a little bit back and forth too much for me. Um, and so I have trouble uh, keeping up with that sometimes. So I was thinking, you know, at the time it it took me a while for it to really impress upon me that this is in the present, like in the present in, you know, better call Saul present, um, where he already knows that Chuck's an ass. He already knows that Chuck did this to him Yeah. and he's still trying to go back and it just doesn't wash with me. Well, yeah, this Yeah, well the important thing is that Marco knew that Chuck's a douche. <laughs> yes, yes. Chuck's a douche who doesn't even like you. He knew that from his you know, Marco's had way briefer time with Chuck than Jimmy has. And he even knows it. Right. But sometimes that that like knowing a person a little bit less, spending a little less time with them gives you perspective that the other person That's would- true. Yeah, because they're too close. And and I thought it was great that um, that Marco said that to him. 
So they're going to do one last scam with the Rolex, Jamie. Not for the money. Marcos doesn't need the money. Marco doesn't need the money. But he has a need for something else because he has nothing else. <laughs> so he right. needs to bond with Jimmy and do this scam again. Right. He gets That's his, um, his hobby. That's what he's good at. And it makes him feel good about himself. And I think, you know, that's he's got to run the scam. Now, I said at the last at our failed podcast that this was very sad to me, Jamie, that this is all Marco has. But I think in thought about it now, he's going to die doing what he loves, which not many people can truly say. Right. But it's just OK. So I have to put aside my idealism, my personality and my own inner workings when I watched something like this because it disappointed me so greatly just from uh, yeah, from an ethics kind of point, you know, from a moral standpoint. But this dude had a need to do something that was way below board, that was odious kind of, you know, a, a nasty kind of thing um, to do to people. And that he ended his life. Like, the last thing he did was to say how awesome it was that he got to cheat people. I just... I don't think he said that, though. I think he said the last thing he did that was awesome was his bonding with Jimmy. Not that they cheated somebody. All right. Okay. So there you go. And that's why I I have to try to think about these things differently. Because when he said it, the emotion left the scene for me. I was disconnected from the scene because I was thinking that doesn't, it doesn't feel true to me. It doesn't feel honest to me. It doesn't feel, you know, I think if they were venture capitalist bankers and they closed one big deal and he had a heart attack and died, that would be the same. It's just like he bonded with his partner, his, his best friend. He bonded with him. That's the message. Right. Right. You're exactly right. All right, so this is the same setup as the first time we saw Marco and Jimmy do this. The wallet's on the ground, the wolf call alert, the stick to poke him with, smoke on the water, (laughs) and then Marco dies. So then, like we said, he tells him it's been the greatest week of his life. That seals the deal for Jimmy with Chuck being gone, Marco now being gone. He's on his own in the world, and that's the stage that they've set for Jimmy to become Saul. Yeah, I guess so. All right, so we get a commercial break, and we come back, and it's Marco's funeral, and they're outside the church. Jimmy's sharing a smoke with some Dracula-looking dude. and they Yeah, look, oh, God, oh, yeah. Look like uh, uh, Mr. Pink from <laughs> Reservoir Dogs. There you go. They're both dressed like that, but they share a smoke, and they talk about Marco's ring and how uh, valuable it is, the pinky ring. And then Jimmy's left alone to think. Yeah. Did you attach anything to that ring conversation? Well, I mean, to me, I don't know what the I don't know what the writers intended by that, but it left me feeling really sad and really empty because, you know, the, this is the the guy's funeral. This is Marco's funeral, and they're discussing whether you know the, that whether it's a great idea to sell this memento that was given to him by. Marco's mother. Ah, it just. Yeah. It's like Cicero. It's like Chicago slash Cicero is a world of scams, right? Yeah. We're in the world of scams. Oh, what's next? Even at this guy's funeral, we don't have any, we don't have enough respect just to put the scams aside for one minute. We got to talk about what that ring might be worth. 
Yeah. Just why? I don't get it. And then Kim, when Kim calls, she even asked if it's Ferris Bueller is kind of a joke. And of course, Ferris Bueller was a series of scams that he went through during his day off. Ah, there you go. Jipped out of school, went to the Cubs game when he shouldn't have been there. All the stuff that they did that, you know, took the car out. All this, all these scammy type little semi-illegal ventures they went into, adventures they went into. Right. But Kim has a deal for him, Jamie. The case that they are working on needs a bigger legal presence than HHM. And they have another law firm called Davis and Maine in Santa Fe. And they want to talk to Jimmy as a potential partner. And he could end up actually helping with his own case. Yep. And she calls it his case, which was kind of sweet, I thought, of Kim. Right. And it is. It is his case. And and that he could end up helping with it. If they hire him, that's going to be what he's working on. And this is the thing that just freaking kills me. I would love to say a bunch of four-letter words right now because this thing just drives me batty. I... I, I I'm actually like I'm actually turning red right now. Like my I feel the heat in my face right now. I am so angry that they made him flip this like other way. I, I just uh, I I hate it. Well, Jimmy in the Chicago Cicero House of Mirrors, where everything's a scam, asked Kim, "What what's up? What's the trick? What's the catch?" Right? He's he does really think that everything's got a catch to it at this point. But it does look like it's for real, and he agrees to come back and talk to these people and maybe become somewhat uh, attached to a role as a partner track person for these Davis and Maine people. Yeah, I mean, it was just like in the bag for him, and he just, ugh. Yeah, that's the other theme we talked about, the ratcheting up and down of almost success and then complete failure. Almost success and then more failure. And so this is the thing that makes me so angry, Mike, because like this whole season, he's been trying so hard and getting his own heart broken because he hasn't been able to reach that that place where he is legitimized and he and he's recognized for his brilliance and his, you know, and and everything that he does. And then to just make that decision, it's heartbreaking to me. Like it makes me angry as a fan that he would make that decision. I don't know. I just, uh, it yeah, it's just, a pattern. It's, they're, they're definitely, they've painted this pattern into this episode and series this way that a hard failure, the, the closer you come to success and then fail, the harder that failure is, you know, getting tackled on the one yard line when you're almost <laughs> near pay dirt, but you're stopped short. Yeah. But, and so it makes it so much more a slap in the face. That that he when he has an opportunity, a real opportunity, and there's nothing standing in his way, he stands in his own way. Well, that's the that's what they're that's how they're building the story. I guess so. All right, so Jimmy does go back to New Mexico and sees Chuck's house with the designated shopper Ernie, this young kid Ernie, helping get Chuck's stuff. He sees Chuck and Ernie going through their routine, and we see more of Chuck just being an ass. He doesn't like the apples. He wants Fuji apples. He doesn't like this milk. He wants to try soy milk. Yeah. And he meets Ernie on his way. Jimmy meets Ernie on his way outside in the street. Yeah. I thought it was interesting, Jamie, that he doesn't go in to see Chuck. He checks on Chuck and his well-being, but doesn't see him. Yeah. Why? 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 Because if you're if you're that guy, if you're that guy who can pull scams and do all this stuff and and you and you know what Chuck did to you, why are you looking out for him? Why? He's his brother. Yeah. Like that matters. 
does matter. It matters to Jimmy, but why? Because he's his, because it's a blood. I don't know. It's a blood feeling of blood brotherhood. You know, he's my connection to the. He's what grounds him to the world. You know, he's got nothing else really. Ugh. Um, and then I, th- I made a reference to how Mike did this with Stacy earlier in this series where he saw Stacy outside her house but didn't go in and she sees him and drives right past him kind of wordlessly. Yeah. Um, estrangement, man. It's a it's a evil condition. Yes, it is. You going to be all right, Jimmy? No, I feel like crying. <laughs> all right, well, Mike's going to get a job. Mike gets a call in his troll booth. He uh, he's he's accepting a job. Who knows what the hell that's going to be? As Jimmy passes his toll booth, troll booth. <laughs> um, Jimmy parks and gets ready to go up to the Davis main meeting. He's talking himself up. Come on, let's. Uh, I'm Jimmy. I can do this. He's talking himself up for the meeting, and then he gets almost to the door and backs off. And that's what makes you sad, Jimmy. That's what makes me freaking pissed. I, I'm sorry. Excuse me. I'm so angry about this episode. If you could have heard the expletives coming out of my mouth like while I was watching this, oh, I am just so angry about this ending. I really am. So he backs away from this meeting that is almost certain victory for him. Yeah. But it's a critical, it's a critical point in this whole story because this is where he's essentially decided to become the bad lawyer, the bad guy. You know, I don't know. I, you know, I'm thinking about it in a sort of philosophical way and maybe also in a sort of a, you know, a writer's position. I understand it. I know why he had to sort of go through this change. And I guess that in order for him to be Saul, who deserved his fate, who ends up in Omaha deservedly, he had to have clearly, consciously made the decision to turn, right? So I guess I get it, but I'm just not satisfied by it, and I'm not pleased about it. Well, we're all we're all our best ally and our worst enemy. Yeah. I mean, listen to Anthony Robbins or anybody, you know, Newt Rockney. <laughs> you're you're you've got to win the battle within yourself to win the battle in the world, and Jimmy probably thinks I'm about to do this again and something's going to go up and blow up on me and I'm going to feel huge disgrace and disappointment again and I don't want to face that. I'm going to back away from it. And he stops himself. Yeah, touching the ring, he stops himself. The golden ring, right? Yeah. So he drives past Mike and he has a little conversation with Mike and they talk about stuff. How did we have $1.6 million in money and let it go? So he's he's already plotting like, wow, we had that and let it go. And I'm never going to let that happen again. Next time I'm going to do it. Um, it's never stopping me from being doing what's right is never going to stop me from doing that again. Yeah, and, you know, and I guess if you look at it from a certain standpoint, this is really brilliant writing because because they really had us on the hook for the entire season. We saw Jimmy struggling with all of these decisions and trying so hard to do the right thing. He he did so many things that were so difficult. And this was the crown jewel in all of the decisions he made. This, you know, self-sacrificial kind of, you know, martyr thing that he did, saving Kim and her career, you know, turning in these people, not stealing the money, not even taking an extra dime from that money 
and he throws it away in this moment. And I guess that is the moment that we realize the battle for his soul has been won, but it's not what we... But we did know, we did know, Jamie, because this was the problem Gilligan and his team always had to overcome, is we know what happens to Jimmy. Right. So they had to make it interesting to get us to this point. We, right. We know he didn't win the big case and get a big payday and get the nice office. And he's in a crappy-ass strip mall with a blow-up Liberty doll on the roof. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, Mike's, Mike says... I did my job. That's all I was supposed to do. I did it. That's as far as it goes. And Jimmy says, I know what stopped me, and it's never stopping me again. So we know he's kind of turned this corner. Yeah. And then Smoke on the Water, and it's over. So the, the real Deep Purple song comes on. Yeah. You think uh, Gilligan just loved this song, or did you find any meaning in the song? I, it's, <laughs> like, don't even ask me. I don't know. I was so just wrapped up in this episode just for the actual dialogue and content of it that I didn't pay attention to much else. All right, we'll leave it at that. That was 110 Marco, and that was it for season one of Better Call Saul on West Coast Project. Jamie, how do people reach you if they want to talk to you on the internet? At Word Girly. And my Twitter handle is at Scathing Tweets. You can always reach us at West Coast Project. Support at West Coast Project if you prefer to email um, or rate us on iTunes, leave notes and messages if you can. We'd love to hear from you and get questions and answer them on the show. Absolutely. So, Jamie, next year we'll do Better Call Saul Part 2, I guess, Season 2. We already know it's a for-sure thing. That's right. And we do another podcast, which is almost about to end as well, The Americans. And um, that is coming up to a pretty cool conclusion, too, it looks like. Yeah, if the, if you're looking for something to watch in the meantime, if you need that good fix of awesome writing and awesome acting, uh, great production value, um, switch on over to The Americans and binge watch it and get ready to go through the last few episodes of the season with us. It is fantastic, compelling television. All right, Jamie, I'll see you next year on Better Call Saul Part 2. All right, Mike. Mike.